0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So, uh, we've done this from time to time over the years. And I'd like to kind of, as we're finishing up this series, um, start with this this morning. I would like to know, for those of you here in this room who have become followers of Jesus Christ... I'd like you to do is, how many of you here came to faith in Christ because somebody handed you a tract or a leaflet or some kind of literature that you read and that's how you gave your life to Christ? How many? One, two, a couple, okay. Um, how many here uh, came to faith in Christ because a stranger came knocking on your door and kind of intruded on your life and, and shared that message and that's how you came to faith? Stranger comes knocking on your door none, okay Um, how many came to faith because of a TV evangelist or a radio preacher and you that's how you came to faith in Christ how many came to faith in Christ because someone you knew made an invitation to church or shared their story with you or somehow made it clear that you decided that's the life that you wanted, someone that you knew made that invitation yeah Yeah, look around, because every time we do this, by far and away, that is the single most effective, single most powerful, single most influential way in which people come to faith in Christ. And that's why for the last six years, we've been taking time to talk about this invitational life. That's why we've been having people share their invitation stories. And in fact... Um, I would really encourage you, this is the last week we're going to be doing this, but um, we've been giving you the last three weeks opportunities for you to tell your invitation story and get it on video. So um, on your way out, on the left-hand side, right by the side doors in that little nook area, um, we're going to be filming more invitation stories. Please tell us your invitation story. We want to hear how that person had that influence on your life because that's what this is all about. Um, God has invited us into this incredible life and, and Jesus actually summed it up in one sentence. It's probably the most well-known passage in all of Scripture, John 3, 16, where he said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever, whoever believed in him would have eternal life, would have that kind of life, that invitational life. And, and, and it's been my prayer from day one, and it continues to be my prayer every single day, every single week, that we would always be a church that is not comfortable and content to sit on our own invitation, but that we would be inviters, that we would be people that are continuing to extend that invitation to that life all around us. It's why we exist as a church, and so for like the last six weeks, we've been talking about this invitation life, and we've been talking a lot about how that works, and ways that you can do it, and things that you can do. Today, I want to talk about the why, okay? Why do we do this? Why do we live this invitational life? Why do we have a church for unchurched people? Why, why do we do what we do? Why should I bother with it? Why should I take this risk? And it comes down to two simple principles, and I'm going to give them to you right now, okay? It's because we are compelled by God's love, and we are convinced of God's grace, In fact, that is the sermon today. For those of you who are note keepers, you can fill those blanks out. Compelled by God's love, convinced by God's grace, I'm done. (laughs) Now, actually, I'd like to expand on that a little bit. But what I do want is for you to walk out of here. If you remember nothing else, this is what I want you to take away from today. That we live this invitational life because we are compelled by God's love and we are convinced of God's grace. And I want you to get that so much so that I'm going to have you repeat after me, okay? Because I don't, if you don't get anything else, you're going to walk out of here. If you don't remember any of the sermon you've ever heard in your life, you're going to remember these two points, okay? So say them out loud together with me. Why do we live this invitational life? Because we're compelled by God's love and we're convinced of God's grace. Okay, now some of you don't seem so convinced about that. So I'm going to ask you again. Why do we risk it? Why do we live this invitational life? Because... Now, for those of you who are slow, I know it takes like three times for something to really sink in. So I'm going to have you do it one more time, and I want everybody to do it, and I want you to do it as loud as you can with as much energy and passion behind it as you possibly can because this is why we exist together as a church. We live this invitational life because we are compelled by God's love and convinced of God's grace. That's it. That's it. That's what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. It's actually in his second letter. If you want to follow along, let me just read it to you. It's right in the middle of his second letter to the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. This is what Paul says. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves But for him who loved who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Compelled by God's love, convinced of God's grace. That's it. He says, that's why. That's the motivation. So today, I gave you those points up front, okay? Because I don't want to just share information with you today. We've been doing a lot of that for the last six weeks. Today, I want to share my heart. I want you to hear what drives me. It's those two things. I'm compelled by God's love and convinced of His grace. That's what Paul says. That's what it comes down to. He says, we are compelled by God's love. Compelled. Christ's love compels us. He said... It's what drives me. It's what grips me. It, it, it's what, it, what pushes me forward. It prods me. It motivates me. It urges me. It presses me whole, ahead at time. It just keeps moving me in this direction. It is the one driving force in my life. It is Christ's love, and it compels me in everything because, because love moves. See, love is not a feeling. Love is not stationary. It is not idle. It is not, um, it's not static. Love moves. Love motivates. Love, love directs. Love pushes. Love does. Love acts. Love does all of these. As Bob Goff put in the title of his book, love does. That's what love is. It does. It moves. It acts. This is the love that Jesus was talking about when he said to Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Did you catch it there? God so loved the world that he acted. He gave his one and only son. And it's not that God got all this love and decided to do something about it. He's saying this is how God loves. God loves the world this way that he gave his one and only son. That's the love that compels us. Drives us. Now, people preach the gospel for a lot of different reasons. People share the gospel for a lot of different reasons. Some people share out of a sense of of, of duty and obligation and guilt. I know I'm supposed to, so I guess I have to, so maybe I will. And and that's their motivation. And it doesn't last very, very long. Some people do it out of of a sense of of fear. Like God's going to get angry with me and I'm going to lose my place in heaven if I don't share the gospel. Some people some people, I think, enjoy preaching the gospel out of anger and hatred. We have, a, we have a family tradition. We've done it since our kids were little. Now our grandkids are little. And every, every Christmas time, the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, we take Bart into the city and we go to um, Union Square, to not to buy anything because that's crazy to try to do it on that day. But we just go and look at all the window decorations and we hang around there for about till lunchtime. We have lunch and we get home before it really gets crazy around there. But every year, every year without fail, we take Bart into the city. We get off at the Powell Street exit. We come up the stairs and without fail, there is a guy standing on a box with a bullhorn shouting and yelling at people. God hates your wickedness. Judgment is coming. God is angry with you, and on and on and on it goes. And every time we come up and I hear that and I walk by this guy and his bullhorn, I think to myself, you are not helping. (laughs) You're You're not helping things here. That is not the message. The message is the message of grace. And it just drives me crazy. But here's the thing. See, God so loves the world that he even loves the bullhorn street corner preacher who's getting it all wrong, even if he is an idiot. <laughs> God still loves him. A couple of, about a month ago, we had gone into the city for a family kind of deal, and we were coming home kind of late, and coming home on Highway 80, and... Uh, we got to the Carquinas Bridge, and they were doing some road work on the bridge. And so they were reducing the, the freeway from four lanes down to two. So, you know, you're kind of jockeying for position and trying to find your spot. And, and so we were in, like, the right-hand lane. Then we had to move into the next right-hand lane and found out that one's got to be closed, too. So we're working our way back into the left lane, which are the ones that are going through. And there was a minivan, a family in front of us, and a minivan. And then right next to him was this big honking pickup, like one of those... Big club cab, four by four, double tires, fifth wheeler kind of big, you know, the kind of pickups I'm talking about. And he was not going to let anybody into his lane. I mean, that little family with the minivan, they're trying to squeeze in there. He, he was, he got so, he almost caused an accident hitting the guy in front of him. He was not going to give an inch in case that guy was going to get in there. And I sat behind us and I watched this happen and I'm, you know, and I'm watching and I had to remind myself, God even loves this jerk who has to have a big four-by-four pickup to make up all of his feelings of inadequacy in life, okay? God still loves him because God loves everyone. Not just you and your family and your friends, And the people in your community group and the people in your church, God loves the world. And he says it is that love that compels us. Uh, If you've been reading the book, I hope you've gotten this far. I hope you've finished. If you haven't, I hope you will finish the book that we've been using for this series. Because there is a passage, there's a section in there that Steve uh, Carter writes about. Something I had never heard before. He writes about That when Jesus had this conversation with this Pharisee about what's the greatest commandment. You remember that conversation and Pharisee comes to Jesus and says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says back to him, "Um, what do you think? How do you read it? How do you read the law? And he says, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Now, I knew that. Okay. Here's what I didn't know. In Jesus' time, there were actually two great rabbis and and two different schools of thought and interpretation of Scripture. Uh, One was Rabbi Shammai, the other was Rabbi Hillel. Now, I knew about these two guys, too, and I knew about their different teachings and the followers of Shammai and the followers of Hillel. Here is a thing that I had never heard before in my life. You can learn something, even when you're 61 years old that there was actually a debate that went on between these two schools of thought. Between what was the greatest commandment. Everybody agreed the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, But there was an ongoing debate as to what was that second most important commandment. And the school of Shammai was to live a holy life. Because all throughout Leviticus you see God saying... Be holy even as I am holy. Be holy because the Lord your God is holy. And the school of Shammai taught that the greatest commandment was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and live a holy life because you serve a holy God. Rabbi Hillel taught love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So when Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, Jesus was siding with Rabbi Hillel, And what he was saying is the most important thing in life, as important as it is to live a righteous and holy life, more important than that is to love people because when you love people, you align yourself with the heartbeat of God. Because the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself because God loves the world. And when that when you are compelled by that love, it changes everything. It changes the way that you look at the people around you. It changes the way you look at the jerks that cut you off in traffic. It changes everything. And that's what that's what Paul writes. He goes on, he says, "So from now on, we regard no one from this worldly point of view. We don't make judgments by our own standards anymore." So we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. He says we can't look at people through that same set of eyes anymore because the love of Christ compels us. It's the driving force in our life and we can't look at people the way that we've always done it. We've got to look at them through Jesus' eyes. And I have to remind myself of that from time to time. But that's what Paul says. We are compelled by his love. So we're compelled by Christ's love and we're convinced of His grace because grace is our only hope. Paul writes, Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. God's grace is our only hope. See, from time to time, I get a chance to talk with people. And so many people I talk with, when they think about God and their own life and their eternal life and where they might end up, most people, most people I talk to have this concept of a balance scale. You know, you've seen those old things. Um, and, And on one side are all the bad things that I did in my life. And on the other side are all the good things that are done in my life. And hopefully when I get to the end of my life, the good outweighs the bad and God lets me into his heaven. There's a problem with that. You never know where you stand. You never know. Am I doing enough good to make up for the bad? Well, I remember my college days. I better do a lot of good. You, know? <laughs> you never know where you stand. But even more importantly, what's wrong with that is you will never be good enough. Because no matter how good you've done, it doesn't cancel out the wrong that you've done. And the people that you've hurt, and the way that you've rebelled against God, you can never, you can't, you will never be good enough. And so if you live that, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, it's the whole idea, the difference between do and done. If you spend your whole life trying to do enough to updo the bad, to do enough to get God to love you, you will never be done with it. You can never do enough. It is what Christ has done for us on the cross That's the message of grace. Religion is all about do. Christ is all about done. And when you spend your life trying to do, it leads to frustration, it leads to disillusionment, it leads to exhaustion, and people just give up and drop out. It leads to feelings of condemnation because you know deep down inside you're not being good enough. You're not even living up to your own standards, much less God's. And so you yeah, have these feelings of condemnation that still continue to weigh on you. But Jesus said, listen, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save or to rescue the world through him. Because see, here's the truth. We don't need just a little bit of help to do a little bit better. We need rescue. Every one of us need rescue. Some of us from some pretty bad stuff, Some of us need to be rescued from religion. But we all need rescue. And that message, that message of grace, that's the thing that makes all the difference. And we're convinced, we're compelled by God's love, and we're convinced that this grace is our only hope. And that's the message. Now, I told you last week, uh, when, in my teenage years when we were growing up and we did all these door-to-door things and I learned all these approaches and sharing the story and I never enjoyed it. I always felt, you know, just like I wasn't very good at it and I always prayed nobody would be home. <laughs> and so I kind of got to a point in my life where I decided, you know what? I'm just going to live it out. I'm just going to live out my life with Christ in such a way that people will look at my life, fall down on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? It never happened. I never even got somebody look at my life and say, hey, can I go to church with you? <laughs> it never happens. So I understand. Yes, I have to live that life, but I have to be able to share that message when the opportunity arises. So how do I share that message of grace? Do versus done. That's a really, really good way. Some people are more visual, and since I've got some art background, yeah, right. Um... <laughs> Here's what I have found to be very, very helpful. And it all starts with God's love. That God created us for a relationship. In His love, He created us to live in this love relationship with Him. It all starts with this love. That's what His creation was all about. That He would come and spend... The cool of the day, walking through the garden with Adam and Eve. But something has destroyed the relationship. There is now a gap. A canyon between us. We're created for this relationship with God. But something has come between it. And what's come between us in that relationship is this thing called sin. That's actually the Bible said that. It's your sin that has separated you from your God. That's the gap. The other part is, there's a bottom to this canyon. Death. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death, an eternal separation from God, that our lives of sin created this gap, and there's a bottom to this canyon that we're going to end up if somebody doesn't do something, and so we try as best we can to bridge the gap, and a lot of people try to do it by doing really good things and living a good life, but they still sin, <laughs> and a lot of people try to fill their lives with religious activity and, 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 and ritual, and, but they still come up short. In fact, actually, that's what the word sin literally means, to come up short, to miss the mark. And so no matter how hard we try from our side of that gap, none of us can jump it. That would be like trying to jump from Oakland to San Francisco. Nobody's going to be able to make that jump. It's impossible. So God, in his love, came to our side of the canyon in the person of Jesus Christ who lived a life without sin which made him unique as a human being but he also came as God incarnate which made him unique in his ability to deal with that sin and what he did when he came to our side is he built a bridge across the gap and the way that he did it is He who knew no sin became sin for us and he died. But he also rose again. And it is that cross that bridges the gap. That's what Paul writes about here that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. He paid that price. He bridged that gap. And then he turns around and he offers that new life, that invitational life, that eternal life as a free gift. Jesus put it this way, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever. Good people, and bad people nice people and not so nice people good friendly drivers and pick up jerks <laughs> whoever whoever and i say to people if that makes sense yeah yeah You think you might want to cross that bridge? I think I do. One more word. Faith. That's what it is. Faith is putting your trust in someone else to get you across the other side. It's putting your faith in Christ. If you think about it, every time you cross a bridge, it's an act of faith. And if you've ever been backed up on the Benicia Bridge and a big semi rolls by and the whole thing shakes, you realize it's a big, big, you know, a lot of faith there. Every bridge crossing is an act of faith. You put your faith in Jesus because he's the one who did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Now, there's one more C. It's not in your outline, but it's this. We are commissioned. We're compelled by God's love. We are convinced of His grace and we are commissioned to tell the story. God reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And as I look out on this audience today, I see people whose stories I know. People who came broken, And hurting. And they found healing and restoration. People who came with an addiction or self destructive behavior that was tearing apart their life and their whole family. And they came because somebody invited them. And they found recovery and healing and a new life. People who came carrying guilt and shame from their past and found forgiveness and mercy and grace. People who came for the very first time to Northgate as a teenager to Young Life, our youth program at the time. And now now they are grown and they have children and they're married and now they are coming and a whole family family, a generation and generations to come, the trajectory of their life is changed because somebody was compelled by love and convinced of grace and made an invitation. That's your story and that's my story too. Inside your program, I have this little card. I'd like you to pull it out. someone made that invitation. And on the front side of the card, it says the one who took the risk for me. Would you just write that name in there? It's probably a series of people, but one person who made that difference in your life, you might want to send them a thank you note because it changed the trajectory of your life. Then I'd like you to turn the card over. And we've done this every week. It says, I will take a risk for, and write down a name, someone that you love, care about deeply. Someone who's, because of Christ's love, you are compelled to extend this message of grace. I've done this every week because I want you to take this home with you. And make this a matter of prayer. And if if you're using your smartphone or your tablet to take notes, you can do it in that that other space there or you can grab one of these cards on the way out so you'll see it. I'm just going to ask you, who took a risk for you? Who are you willing to take a risk for? Yourself. Would you bow your heads with me? So we've done this each week. And if you've got someone... On your card, that person that you are compelled by Christ's love and convinced of God's grace that you are willing to take that risk for. I, I know it's, it's a little scary. It makes you a little nervous. It does for me too. So I want to pray with you and pray for you. And what I'm going to ask you to do is just, and if you haven't had time to fill out the card, but you do have someone whose name is going to go on there, would you just hold up that card right now and just say, this is, this is my loved one. This is the one I care about. Come on, folks. We are compelled by God's love. Convinced of this grace. Lord, you see these cards. You see there are names there. These names represent people that we love. People that you love. We're praying, God, that you would work in their lives and in their hearts. That you would prompt them. That you would give us opportunity and, and, and give us boldness to take that risk and and let someone else know and invite them into this life that you've given to us. We pray for them in Jesus' name. Now, maybe you're here today because somebody invited you. They did because they're compelled by Christ's love. They care about you. And maybe it heard the kind of message before, but it never made sense to you. And somehow this little drawing over here all of a sudden went like, that's, that's, that makes sense. And today, you need to take that step across that bridge. And it's very, very simple. You just simply admit, this is my need. This is my wrong. This is my sin. God, I can't fix it from my side. Would you, by your grace, take what you did on the cross and apply it to my life? Would you forgive me? I'm putting my faith and trust in you. And if that's you today, would you just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment because I want to see you and acknowledge you. Look up and catch my eye too. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to invite you to just make this your prayer. Lord, here I am. With my faults, my failures, my mistakes, my wrongdoing, my sin, I can't fix it, and I know that. So today I'm turning to you. I'm putting my faith and trust in you. Would you forgive me from that sin? Would you give me that new life? and Teach me how to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.